Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message. Father, we thank you. You have been so good to us. When we were dead in our sins and trespasses, you called through the darkness and opened our eyes to truth. You gave us grace to see so that we might believe. You have taken us from the realm of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of your dear Son. You have adopted us as your children. You have put your Holy Spirit within us, given us a new heart, a new spirit, written your law upon our hearts, causing us to want to please you, causing us to want to do the things that we should do. We do still battle with the law of sin in our members, and most of us in shame would admit we probably fail more often than we should, but Lord, even that is opportunities to learn about your grace, about your mercy. Father, you have given us a task that is not only not finished, but won't be until the time when your son returns. And, and even then, there'll still be work to do. And we thank, we're thankful that we get to be a part of all of that. We would ask that uh, this morning, as we open your word together, that you would open our hearts and our minds to the things that you have for us. And as we consider the concept of serving you, uh, that we would not, as we so often do, uh, put it in a compartment that uh, we let it out now and again, but that we would recognize we've been bought with a price. We're not our own. All of our life is yours. In fact, our life is hid in Christ with you. Thank you again for this opportunity in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All righty, uh, Psalm 100 there, um, you saw, uh, we're going to start by shouting uh, to the Lord, and then we're going to talk about serving the Lord with gladness. Um, I don't know about you, but over the last few years, I've continued to grow in my understanding and my knowledge of God, and I've enjoyed it. And uh, I'm reading books that were written around the time I was born. And uh, in A.W. Tozer's uh, Knowledge of the Holy, well, it's a trilogy book. It's got Knowledge of the Holy. It's got uh, the pursuit of God's Pursuit of Man and the Pursuit of God. I believe we're in the Pursuit of God presently. Or is it the other one? I, I confuse them. Whichever one. <laughs> and uh, listening to him talk about the state of the evangelical church in the late 50s, early 60s, um, as, as, and, and in my reading here recently, he specifically talks about our understanding, our position in Christ. Apparently, it was something that was touted a lot in the late 50s, early 60s, but he found that people were not really interested in getting to know God. They understood position. God looks at us. We're, we have imputed righteousness, uh, so on and so on and so forth. But the idea of really getting to know God was something that lacked. As I look around at the evangelical church in America today, and I can throw in Brazil, uh, I think it is something that has continued to be an issue. 
And so when we talk about serving the Lord, sometimes the mentality is it's something you do when you're at church. Instead of understanding that positionally, you've been bought with a price, you're not your own. Nothing in your life is yours. And therefore, when it says serve the Lord with gladness, it's 24-7. Now, wait a minute. We sleep for somewhere between five and eight hours of that 24, right? Oh, thank you. I was kind of worried that you were the only one here. (laughs) Um, You know, getting adequate rest is important for your everyday health. And, of course, I'm learning as you get older. um, I get adequate rest the first half of the night. And the second half of the night, eh, sometimes, it it gets harder. You know, when you're younger, you're running around like crazy. You go to bed, and you're gone for, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours, especially when you're a teenager. And then you hit the, the 60 mark, and it's kind of like, Okay, I, I, I'd like to go back to sleep, Lord. Is there someone I should be praying for? You know, that kind of a thing. And it uh, happens all too often. But rest is important. And so even that is something that you're not your own. So get adequate rest. That's part of serving the Lord. So let's take a look at our outline here today. Um, serving the Lord is a 24-7 uh, job. And again, I've already dealt with your sleep time. Uh, letter A, uh, on a personal level. In other words, we're going to deal with you all by yourself uh, when it comes to serving the Lord. And the reason is, is because there's the personal and then there's the outworking of that. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, uh, don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit right? And then it goes on. That's your, uh, here's what it's going to look like in your personal life. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Ooh, there's that gladness, happiness type thing again. And then it says, giving thanks always for all things and submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of Christ, right? And then it talks about the practical outworking in your relationships, Wives are submitting to their husbands. Husbands are loving their wives. Children are obeying their parents. We'll get there. Uh, Parents are not uh, uh, provoking their children to wrath. We'll get there. Um, When you're at work, you're working as unto the Lord. And if you happen to be the boss, you're remembering, yeah, I've got a boss that I've got to respond to too. Uh, all of those things come into play. So letter A, the personal level. Letter B, on the practical level. Uh, if you haven't filled that blank out yet, uh, you can when we get there. So number one, we have been made alive and created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now, uh, you might remember in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, we are dead in sins and trespasses. Uh, We walk according to the course of this world. In other words, the world who is under the auspices or the authority, if you will, of Satan, he's presenting a certain way of living, and uh, we walk just the way it said. Uh, For some of us, that meant we were following the American dream. For others, it meant we were involved in who knows what uh, before salvation. Uh, we did. We walked according to the lusts of our mind and of our heart. We were by nature children of wrath. We were dead. 
There wasn't a thing we could do as we lived in Adam to not only please God, but even to do something to get in his good graces. Okay, when it says, there is none that does good, no, not one, it was talking about us before we knew Christ. Okay? And then God is the one that does the work that's necessary to open our eyes to truth. At which point there's a recognition. Uh Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. There's this holy God, and I'm a sinner. And there's not a thing I can do. Now, some people, they stop there. They, they decide, we're going to turn over a new leaf. We're going to go to church. We're going to read the Bible. We're going to do any number of things. And they feel satisfied with that. But if God's truly doing the work, because no man seeks after God, if God is truly doing the work, they're going to come to a place of their recognition for whatever God has done, because they can't. Okay? And that's what we call... Uh, the process of salvation. Now, there's like 283 things that happen all instantaneously, but one of the things we have to recognize is if we were dead, God had to do something so that we could see the truth and respond to the truth. We want to talk about the free will of man, the sovereignty of God. I don't know how you put it all together, They've been fighting about it for 500 years. Why should we continue the fight? Why don't we acknowledge we were dead, we were made alive, which means he did it. Good enough? Okay. Yeah, you you had a choice in the matter. You responded by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit appropriately, and he saved you. He made you alive. And he didn't just make you alive. You've heard me say it several times over the last several weeks. He didn't just make you alive so you go to heaven someday. He made you alive unto, he created you in Christ Jesus, unto good works. Now this is where, once again, our thinking goes, okay, so a good work is what I do at church. No, a good work, seeing as, well, we sang the songs, listen to the words. If it was up to me, I'd have stayed on the path that led to condemnation. And, and even after I got on the path that uh, has life, I'm incapable of doing anything that would put me in the good graces of God. I need him for everything. Let me see, what does Jesus say? Without me, you can do nothing. I need him for everything. What does Paul say? Uh, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, your body is dead because of sin. I am incapable of doing anything that's pleasing to God because the law of sin is still in this body. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. And it is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that delivers me from the law of sin and death. I can, by God's grace, finally do a good work because it is him doing it through me. Without him doing it through me, it has no eternal value because your body is dead because of sin. It's tainted. 
Okay? So we're made alive and created in Christ Jesus unto good works, Ephesians 2, 5, and 10. Made alive, uh, this basically says he is our life. Uh, Matthew 6, 24 and 25 here. Uh, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will uh, be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Uh, Luke 12, 22 and 23 says, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, uh, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. So what is life? Well, Colossians 3, 3, For you died. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am a different person. I have been made alive. If you died, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we've been made alive. He is our life. Now, if he's our life, then what is every moment of our day? It is. Every single moment. Yeah, well, that's nice, but i got to pay my bills. Do not worry about your life. What does that mean? Okay? Now, it does mean that as God provides through the job that you're going to work, that you need to be wise in how you're going to spend the money. But don't worry about it. Yeah, but things happen. Oh, they sure do. All the time, and God fell off the throne for a moment. No, he's still on the throne. So what is he doing? Ah, that's for you to determine as you walk with him, because he is your life. Okay? Uh, Notice uh, letter B. We are a new creation, capable, because of a new nature. Uh, Notice Ephesians 4.24, and that you put on the new man. Now, (laughs) Here he is telling you to put off the conduct of the old man, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The first three chapters of Ephesians, he's talking to believers, this is what's true about you because you're in Christ Jesus. You are chosen from before the foundations of the world. You are fully acceptable to God. You are redeemed. You are adopted. You are forgiven and so on, and so on, and so forth. If you read Ephesians 1 through 3, almost every time it says, in him, in the beloved, in Christ, it is saying something that is true about you, your position, because you're in Christ. Now here we are in chapter 4. Since all of that is true, put off the conduct of the old man. When I first got saved, I was going to the bars, going dancing, uh, had an issue with pornography, etc., etc., etc. And what does the Bible say? Therefore, diligently add to your faith virtue. Huh? What's virtue? Well, patience is a virtue. No, 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 no. The concept of uh, virtue there is moral excellence. In other words, let's start putting away the things that don't belong anymore because you've been made alive. And living people shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff, okay? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 
retrain your thinking according to who you are now in Christ, not according to the things of this world. And then it says in 4.24 that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now I want you to understand, when you were baptized into Christ, you were baptized into his death, his burial, his resurrection, that's when you were crucified with Christ and you have put on the new man. But now he's saying, because of your position in Christ, start living it. Start acting like it. So how does the new man live? Well, look at what it says to describe the new man. The new man was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Oh, so there's a part of me now? No, that is you, the new creature. From God's perspective, you are truly holy and righteous. He goes on to say in Colossians 3.10, basically the same concept, and you have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So what does the new man look like? (laughs) He looks like God. Looks like Jesus Christ. Boy, my, my practice doesn't always look like that, does it? And everybody said, yeah, we, we know about your practice. No, 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 no. That's all of us. See, that's called our condition. We're still dealing with the law of sin in our members. And we sometimes believe lies, don't believe the truth of what God has said. And then we act accordingly. We're drawn away of our own lust. We're enticed. We're seduced. We're lied to. We believe the lies and we fall on our face. <laughs> uh, yeah, put on the new man. Believe what God has said is true about you and live accordingly. First uh, John 3, 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Now, I remember a few years ago, we, uh, we had a little discussion about this. And pastor said, okay, we're born again, and yet we sin. Well, present active indicative, this is not a way of life for him, the, the believer. And he goes, Al, we've both been in the ministry long enough to know that this is a way of life for many people. They struggle with the same things over and over and over and over and over again. So are they not saved? No, they're not believing what God has said. Notice what it says here. He, his seed, he, he does not sin. His seed, the word his is capitalized in most Bibles. They're telling you who it's talking about. Remains in him, him being a small age. And he, the person, cannot sin because he has been born of God. There is a part of you, the new nature, that does not sin. Why? Because it's been created after God in true righteousness and holiness. That part of you cannot sin. And sin as a way of life, as in this is your normal day-to-day practice, cannot continue for the believer. If it has continued, now I'm not talking about you're struggling with a particular sin. I'm talking about you've given yourself over to it and it's okay. You justify it. You make reasons why it's totally okay. You continue to do it. When it has been pointed out, that's wrong. One can and should question whether or not they're saved if they live in that condition. Because if you are who God says you are positionally, it should, by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit, be worked out in your life practically. And if it doesn't, 
you have a right to question. Not someone else's salvation, but your own salvation. You are a new creature, capable because of a new nature and because of new thinking. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. In other words, you're recognizing God's mercy, how it's worked out in your life, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto Him. Now, I don't know about you, but that holy and acceptable part, that's because of who you are in Christ, not always because of your practice, but because of who you are in Christ. And don't be conformed to the image of this world. Don't believe what the world's telling you about pronouns, about the possibility that God made a mistake and put you in the wrong body. That, you know, the LGBTQ uh, alphabet mafia, they just, they just love each other. It should be okay that they love each other. You're not conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If it wasn't for God's grace, I could easily be involved in believing any one of those lies. So as I deal with those people, I'm going to deal with them in mercy and love. Doesn't mean I have to agree with them, accept their premises, etc. But I am capable to live the way God wants me to think because he's retraining my thinking. Think about the temptation of Christ. When Satan comes along, he offers him three things. They are, in essence, the same three things that he offered to Eve. Okay? He's dealing with the only three areas whereby you might fall into sin. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So he starts with the lust of the flesh. He says, you know, if you're the son of God, I'm working a little bit on the ego there. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Can God do that? Yeah, I mean, he spoke the world into existence. He could have done it in a second, but he laid it out over a seven-day period of time so that we'd understand the concept of a work week. Not five days, 40 hours. Not four days, 40 hours. Six days. How many hours? Uh Uh-huh. I don't know. Okay? He didn't put a limit on it. You you work. Okay? Excuse me. And on the seventh day, you rest. There needs to be a time to rest. I don't know about you, but as I'm getting older, I go out and mow a couple lawns, come in, sit down in the chair. I rest. Uh, No, every now and again, a a day off is a day off. Drives my wife nuts. Are you going to sit there all day? Yeah. Yeah, I am. I am whooping. Okay, uh, so, but uh, he did it in seven 24-hour periods of time. The evening and the morning, first day. Uh, the evening and the morning, second day. Not millions of years. I'm told by a granddaughter that that's one of the things her teacher is teaching her over in a Christian school. And uh, why would God need millions of years? Because science has authority over religion. Excuse me? (laughs) Let's not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What did God say? Yeah, well, it's picturesque language. He didn't mean 24 hours. 
funny, the rest of the period of time he meant 24 hours. Why doesn't it? Well, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day to God. Yeah, I understand, but look at the context. He's not talking about creation there. He's talking about something else. His plan as far as working out uh, in history. Okay? But again, the whole point is, don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what is the good, acceptable, good from God's perspective, hello, acceptable and perfect will of God in whatever that situation is. Okay, so we've been made alive. Notice number two, the need to abide. The need to abide. Understanding uh, the source of life for us. When Christ, who is your life, uh, appears, you will appear with him in glory. So uh, John 15, 1 to 8, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So what's important here? First, that you're in Christ. And second of all, that you're fruitful. It goes on to say, um, he prunes that it may bear, bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now notice, it's the concept of the life of Christ being transferred into your life so that you might be fruitful. He goes on to say, uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. Now, guaranteed, your desires are going to be modified by your thinking, which has been modified, transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? You can ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So we, we need to understand the concept of abiding in Christ. Understand that He is the source of our life, and we also need to understand the power of faith. Now, we started out this series with idolatry in the church. See, belief is never an issue. But walking in faith, now that's another thing altogether. What is faith? Hebrews 11.1. 1. It is basically believing what God says about the situation, not what the world says. And then it goes on to say that that's the only way you can approach God you have to be diligently seeking him and understanding that he is the rewarder of those who do the things that he's got for them. Okay? So with that in mind, we need to understand the power of faith. Notice, believing in what God says about himself. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father unless they ask Jesus into their heart. No one comes to the Father except through me. Through what? An acknowledgement of his person and a trust in his work. Okay? Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, 
That's his person. He's God come in the flesh. He lived the perfect life that none of us could live. He died to pay for sin. He rose again, proving that he's God and proving that sin's been taken care of. And I am trusting in what he has done, who he is, not in what I can do. Now, why do I emphasize that over and over and over again? Because I've asked too many people in church, what is the gospel? Well, it's the Word of God. Yes, it is. But there's 33,100 verses, 1,189 chapters. Can you explain to me the gospel from Isaiah? And some of you would say, yeah, because it's not really that difficult, right? There are passages in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel that I look at and go, well, isn't that nice? I don't understand it, okay? Um, So after the Word of God, I say, hey, can we narrow it down? They go, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yes, those are the Gospels, and you will find the Gospel in them. But what is the Gospel that one must believe in order to be saved? Uh, Then they say, well, it's the good news. Kind of like, you know, can you just tell me what the good news is? And finally, it's almost always a woman who gives the correct answer. Men. There are times when, come on, guys. Come to men's prayer breakfast. (laughs) Okay? It's not that hard to get up by 8 o'clock. In fact, the older you are, um, it's really quite easy. And everybody needs to eat, right? Yeah, but then we got to listen to Rich or Al. It's okay. It's okay. You can speak if you'd like to. We'll give you the book. You can take it home, read it for the the next month, and you can bring forth uh, what God brings out for you. But again, the concept of believing what God says. Uh, First of all, about himself. Notice Ephesians 1, 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, whereby he has made you accepted in the beloved. You know, as believers... There are plenty of times when we do things that make us think, you know, I can't go and talk to God right now because I did that, and he's probably not very pleased with me right now. Can I tell you that his position or thoughts about you do not change based on what you do? Because they were never based upon what you did. They were based on what Jesus did on your behalf. You are fully accepted in the beloved. So what does that say about God? That every time you fall on your face, you ought to be running back to him saying, Daddy, I blew it. He goes, yeah, I know. Now what are we going to do about it? Okay, let's be transformed by the renewing of our mind, so on and so on and so forth. Number two, believing in what God says about yourself. The, The concept of you're a new creature You're dead to sin. Why do we sin? Because we don't believe that we're dead to sin. We believe that, okay, i got a choice here. No, you don't. Yeah, I do, and I make the wrong one plenty of times. No, you are dead, and your life is hid in Christ. Reckon it to be so. So what are we doing when we're giving way to sin? We're not believing what God says. Now, obviously, you have to be involved in the whole process. But if you believe what God says about you, and you're thinking 
as your mind is renewed, then when temptation comes along, you're not enticed. You're not believing the lies. And I don't know about you, at that point, my wiseacreness says, that's right, I don't believe the lies. I continue to do it anyway. Well, you may not believe the lies about the sin, but you're not believing what God says about you. Okay? Notice also um, 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is past. Behold, all things are becoming new is probably a better translation uh, because some Bibles say all things have become new. No, no, no. We're, we're in the process of becoming. Yes, it's all become new, but we're figuring it out as we go. Okay, that, that is normal. And within that, there is going to be failure, but the failure comes down to we're not believing what God says. Notice, living a life that gives credence to the message. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Uh, the word sanctify basically means to set apart. Uh, this is something special. It, it, it's going to be right here. And it's going to have an effect on everything else. How do I know? Well, the verse goes on to say, And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So, first of all, if you sanctify the Lord God in your heart, you're going to live in such a way that people are going to go, how come you're doing it like that? They're going to ask you why you have this hope in you. I don't know about you, but if you just live as an average normal Christian that maybe doesn't smoke or chew or go with girls that do, that's not really going to affect people. They're just going to think, well, you're no fun. I used to work with a guy who had been a priest, and somewhere in the rush, uh, he uh, decided that was not for him because he really liked this girl. He wanted to get married. <laughs> and uh, working at a spring factory, and uh, Roger, Roger was, oh, he was just a fleshly, wicked, adulterous, idolater. Pick the term, it, it fit Roger. Um, but Roger was always picking on... Uh, the guy who was a priest. can't think of his name right now. <laughs> that was a long time ago. But uh, he called him a nun. None of this and none of that. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, if that's how you're living, you're just none of this, none of that. You're not really demonstrating the hope that you have in you. You're just not choosing to sin. Well, that's nice. But it doesn't make an effect. But when you're abiding in the vine and the life of Christ is flowing through you, and you're bearing fruit. What does that mean? You're demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, Pete, joy. You mean you're like happy at work. Why on earth would you be happy at work, they might say. And you're to be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have in you. Now, as you're presenting that hope, you're going to do it with meekness and fear because... There's that humility. It's not me. If it was me, I'd be complaining about this. My boss, he's a dingbat, and everyone knows it, so I'd be joining in. Not you, Pastor, just saying. If we were at a work situation. <laughs> okay, I, I thought about that as I'm saying. It's kind of like, he's probably at home watching, and no, he's not a dingbat. <laughs> okay, so living a life that gives credence to the message. 
when you're giving an answer for the hope that you have in you, what message are you going to be sharing? The gospel. As much as they'll listen, you don't got to force it down their throat. If the Spirit of God is working in them and He's using your life to do it, you can share it. It's okay. By, by the way, this is God's outreach program. Okay, I know I've said it in the past, and I want you to look. If you want to go and knock on doors, I've got tracks. Uh, I might even go with you if my schedule allows. But the reality is, is when you do that, you're you're flipping the coin and saying, "Okay, Spirit, is this one going to be one you're working in?" Where when people are asking you questions, why would they ask the questions if the Spirit of God wasn't working? So, uh, something to consider. <clears throat> Sorry, I get talking and everything gets a flowing, and so we'll put one of these in there and hopefully calm it down a little bit. Okay, moving right along, uh, letter B. That was on the personal level. Now let's look at the practical level. Um, serving the Lord starts in the home. The husband-wife relationship, you know, a man is going to leave his mother and his father and he's going to cleave unto his wife. Okay, They have become a new family. At that point, unfortunately, they do not need to listen to their parents anymore. Now, if they're smart, they will. They'll be looking to their parents for counsel. But that doesn't mean they're going to do it the way their parents would have done it. Why? Well, we live in a different age. And they haven't figured out that maybe you actually know something yet. Hopefully they will. But the reality is, is they're their own family. They're responsible to God. Now, they're to continue to honor their parents. That means live basically according to the way they've been trained. But it does not mean obey. Okay? Because why? They're a new family, a separate entity. They're responsible to God. So the husband and wife relationship is a pretty important relationship when it comes to serving the Lord. Notice, first of all, respecting uh, God's authority. In 1 Corinthians 11.3, it says, But I want you to know that every head, the head of every man is Christ. So who are the men responsible to? That's what the Bible says. In today's day and age, they are responsible to their wives. Happy wife, happy life. Do you understand how unbiblical that concept is? Happy spouse, happy house. That might be a better one. But again, who are we supposed to be making happy? Jesus Christ. Okay? So the head of every man is Christ. It goes on to say the head of the woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. So we have this, this concept where we have God the Father, God the Son, man, woman. Is Christ lower than God in essence? No. So therefore, is the woman lower than man in essence? No. It's a chain of authority that has nothing to do with the value of the person. It has everything to do with, here's God's design. It works the way it's supposed to work. And when men do not want to submit to Christ, there's going to be problems. When women don't want to submit to their husband, there's going to be problems. Not because the husband is all that. Because God said so. 
That's the answer. A lot of women will say, well, if a husband loved me the way they're supposed to, that man I'd submit to. Has nothing to do with whether or not he deserves to be submitted to as much as God has put him in a position, given him a uniform. That uniform may not fit properly. He's probably going to have to grow into it. Okay? But that's his position. And therefore, you submit to the position, the guy God's going to work on. Uh, The first 15 years of our marriage were difficult, to say the least. And we, we can laugh about it now. Uh, Lynn will tell you uh, that she recognized that God was working on her. I will tell you that I had a lot of growing up to do. She'll agree with that. Um, but within the difficulties that we had, she'd always tell me about the areas where I need to grow. And I would always turn it right back around and talk to her about her issues. Her issues were reason why I didn't need to change. Because the way I was, that was to help her with her issues. <laughs> yeah. And she was the way she was to help me with my issues. Well, the reality is there's a measure of truth to that. God was giving two firstborns, hard-headed people, the other one to be working on the things that were in their lives. But the reality is, is there was a certain amount of a lack of respect because I was the way I was. It has nothing to do with the way I was. I was supposed to be the boss, and I may not have done it right. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying, because God put me in that position, there should have been that measure of respect. Now, we can talk about the rest of it, but that's the way it is. So notice, God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. God's design, man is the head of the woman. And therefore, in Ephesians 5, 23 and 24... It says the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And, of course, then we can talk about how well the of the church is in subject, subjection to Christ. The reality is, is it is. Okay? There are times when we kind of get off kilter and correction is made, but the church is subject to Christ, period. And just like that, women are to be subject to their own husbands. Notice number two, loving the God-given gift. Oh, I think this is actually a pretty important thing. For some reason, guys think when they get married very often that their wives really got a good deal. You didn't enjoy that one. Uh, we have a tendency. One person put it this way. Some reason guys have this confidence and this, this thought that they're all it. And women who really are, wow, are always worried about whether or not they measure up. It's interesting how that works. Uh, but the reality is a lot of guys, they get married, they think... Boy, did their wife make out or not. And then after we've been married for a few years, we kind of joke with each other. It's kind of like, boy, you really married up, didn't you? Like she's up here and you're down here. The reality is, is you're both a couple of sinners and God is the one that gave the one to the other. Now, the one thing my wife says that I really appreciate, 
Getting married is like receiving a gift. It's wrapped, and when you open that gift, there are no returns. You got what you got, and that's what it is. <laughs> okay, uh, so uh, notice the Bible says that whoever finds a wife finds a good thing. Proverbs 18.22, 19.14, houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. And of course, we like to complain about, well, she's not so prudent. You know, I tell her there's $10 in the bank, and she immediately goes down to Goodwill to save me some money and spends 19. Uh, You know, we, we like to complain about those things, but the reality is, is the wife is a gift of God to the husband. And therefore, the husband ought to be real thankful for what he's been given. Now, we can talk about the good and all that kind of stuff. The reality is, is God says it's a good thing. And therefore, the, the flaws that we find in each other really come down to what God is doing for the other person with those flaws. So if your wife is flawed and you like to complain about it, what's God trying to do in your life through those flaws? And vice versa, ladies. Okay? Notice, loving Christ, uh, loving like Christ loved and gave himself for the church. This is the husband's job. We spent a couple of minutes talking about submission. Now we've got to deal with the husband's job. He is supposed to love his wife like Christ loved the church. By the way, this is his way of submitting to his wife. You're supposed to submit yourselves one to another. The wife is supposed to submit herself to his headship. He is supposed to submit to her in her needs, love her like Christ loved the church. That's going to include protection, provision, etc., etc., etc. Okay? And notice spiritual leadership. In verses 26 and 27 of Ephesians 5, it says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the word, uh, washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Men, most of us will admit the spiritual side of life, it just, my wife just seems to take it in. And she's further along in her walk than I am. And, you know, I'm just going to sit back and, and, and let her be the leader. Now, we wouldn't say that. But that seems to be what happens. Now, I may be wrong about some of you, but here's what I know about men. <coughs> For the most part, we're pretty selfish. We're self-oriented. What makes me feel good is what I'm going to be about. Uh, so that might mean sitting down and watching TV, coming home and reading the newspaper, wh- whatever melts your butter, okay? Gaming, big thing in today's uh, younger generation. So guy wants to come home. He's stressed out because of work. He does not want to help with the kids or help with dinner. He's going to go sit in front of the TV and play games. And after an hour or two or seven, uh, then maybe he's available to talk to the kids who have been asleep now for five hours and, uh, and his wife. Guys, you are called by God to be the head of the wife, to be the spiritual leader. What does that mean? Well, if you're going to wash her with the water of the word, obviously you're going to be seeing some of the flaws that are in her, right? Because 
though she would have a hard time admitting it, she's not perfect yet. She'd be more than happy to point out your imperfections, but the reality is, is you're both in the process, and your job is to be washing her with the water of the Word to help her in her spiritual growth. Yeah, but she's further along than I am. And what have you done about it? I don't know how many times, and guys, I understand, I don't like to read. It's so much easier to watch the movie on TV. But guys, you need to be readers. You need to read your word, the Bible. You need to read books that you don't necessarily agree with. Maybe those aren't the ones you're going to start with. Okay? But somewhere in the rush, you ought to be able to do that. Why? So you can examine. So you can be challenged in the way that you think. I've come to the place where I am very open to, okay, let's examine what that guy is saying over there. Because I used to have God in a box. Here's my systematic theology. God fits here. And then God did things that didn't fit in my box. Okay, well, I'll get a bigger box. How about we just get rid of the box and let God be God? Okay? Now, that doesn't mean I'm opening myself to all kinds of false doctrines. I'm still going to test the spirits. Okay? I'm going to compare them to the Word of God. Understand that at this time in my life... I am not all that. Therefore, there may be a place for more than what I understand. But I'm not going to throw the baby out the bathwater. Okay? But guys, you got to read. If you're not reading something, well, how much do I have to read? I get bored with reading. So I have about seven books that I'm going through right now. And I'll read a chapter of this one today. And tomorrow, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll pick up a different one and try and read a chapter in that one. And then a different one. That's how I handle it. You might be the kind of person that you want to sit down and read the whole thing. Hallelujah. Good for you. I have ADHD, or Dave tells me these kinds of things. I don't know. Um, I I don't know what it is, but I I need variety, so I'm going to jump around a little bit. But... um, and I have the ability to read that last week and, and step into it today like it was yesterday. Okay, praise the Lord, hallelujah, move on. But you need to be reading. Um, <clears throat> anytime we have VBS, Rich will come in here and steal books from the bookstore and sit there watching the bathroom or something like that and read through a whole book within the week, maybe two, depending on the size of the book, and then he'll go and put it back as though it's never been touched. And Dave has to say, hey, do you steal my book again? Um, But really, we need to be readers, men. Why? Because you're going to be washing your wife with the water of the Word. You're going to be answering questions. You're going to be giving an account for her spiritual life. And if you're not reading and you're not challenging your own spiritual life to grow, that's not going to be a day you want to enjoy. Okay? So spiritual leadership. Notice also in verse 28 and 29, we're supposed to love our wives like our own bodies. It says that no man has ever not cared for himself. 
Now, I recognize that people struggle with depression or mental illness, as we call it, and all that kind of stuff. The reality is, is the average guy is very self-oriented. Now, we may not brush our hair the way you think we ought to, or shave as much as you think we ought to, or anything like that, but don't call me late for dinner. I, I mean, um, you know what I'm saying. We are going to take care of ourselves. Well, we ought to be taking care of our wives in the same fashion, uh, chapter 5, verse 28 through 29. And then verse 31, she becomes a priority. For this reason, the man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, depending on the circumstances, leaving your mom and dad might be really easy. Live there, okay? For some of you, though, uh, mom is more of a priority than your wife is. And can I tell you something? Shame on you, because you have started a new family. You're responsible for that family, and that family consists of you and your wife. Kids are the fruit of that family. They're not the family. Why? Because they're going to grow up and leave. In fact, some of us would like them to leave sooner, right? Uh, But the reality is they're going to leave. So they're yeah, uh, they're the fruit that's born in that family. But the family is the husband and wife. Uh, Lynn and I uh, enjoy being around our kids. We also enjoy when they leave. <laughs> uh, H- Hannah's been here this week with little Ida May, and uh, we are enjoying that completely. Uh, when I found out that Hannah was going home today and not tomorrow, I- I'm slightly disappointed. But you know something? I, I like it when we're the only ones in our house. <laughs> a variety of reasons of which you usually gross my kids out, but that, that's for their problem, okay? Um, that's, this is the family, her and me. We pray for our kids regularly. We want to see them as much as possible, but we're the family. We leave the father, father and mother and cleave unto our wife. She's the priority. Letter B, parent-child relationships. Ah, here I am getting up on time and halfway through the thing again. Well, let's get going. Parent-child relationships, Ephesians 6, 1-4. This is all about serving the Lord. Husbands are serving the Lord when they're loving their wives like Christ loved the church. Wives are serving the Lord when they're submitting unto their dingbat husband. Okay? That's the way it is. Okay? Parent-child relationship. Spirit-filled children. Now, Pastor had a message on this uh, several months ago, a couple of years ago. You know, he's been in Revelation for 19 years or something like that. But, but he had a message on spirit-filled children. And, and I don't think we grasp the concept that children can understand sometimes deep biblical truth. Okay? And they need to learn to walk with Jesus well, they're munchkins. Why? Because someday they're going to grow, and, and as they grow, their hormones are going to kick in. At which point, if they don't understand the law of the Spirit of life delivers me from the law of sin and death, what are they going to do? They're going to live according to the law of sin and death. And we're going to go, my teenager, they're doing all these terrible things. No, they're showing you what's in their heart. Okay? Because they don't have the capacity to not do that. The only way they have the capacity is learning how to walk in the Spirit. Because when you walk in the Spirit, you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
Those two battle against each other, so you can't do the things you want to. But when you're walking in the Spirit, you're not going to fulfill that. And so we, we expect our teenagers who asked Jesus into their heart. They went forward, they prayed a prayer, we, and that's it. We don't really want them to go any further than that. Well, sure we do. Yeah, but is that what we're really all about? Or we're just hoping that we can get them through their teen years without them being involved in sex, drugs, and rock and roll. As though any one of them are the unforgivable sins. No, they need to be trained to walk with the Lord. We're dealing with heart issues. We're not stapling fruit on them. Go say you're sorry to that person. No. Why'd they do it? Because foolishness was bound up in their, their hearts and they were being selfish. What's the work of the flesh? Is that pleasing to Jesus? No. Well, then what would Jesus have you to do? Hopefully you've told them already so that all right, and they go and they do what they're supposed to do. Not say, I'm sorry, I was wrong when I did this to you. Would you forgive me? So, spirit-filled children, learning how to walk like we're all supposed to walk. Okay, how important that is. Um, number two, uh, notice in your notes there, Ephesians 5.18 don't be drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. This is within the context. First it deals with personal, then it deals with husband-wife relationship, then it deals with parent-child relationship, then it deals with uh, employer-employee relationship. That's our application for slaves and masters. Okay, It's all in the context of walking in the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit. Number two, not provoking children to wrath. Verse 4, heavy, heavy responsibility, especially on dads. Why? Because he's the head of the wife. He's the leader of the family. He's going to give an account for that. Do we dads do it all right? Well, notice selfish use of time and things. The guy that comes home and doesn't spend time with his kids uh, because, well, they're an annoyance and have been annoyed at work all day long. Who wants more of that? So, you know, go play. I, I need time. And, and you might need time. Don't, I don't have a problem with the concept. But kids need your time also. And when you're selfish with your time, I've been there, I've done that. I'm not standing in judgment of you if you're doing that. I'm telling you that is one of the ways that you provoke your children to wrath when they're not important enough to spend some time with them. Throw in the ball, whatever the case may be. Maybe you're going to play video games together, but can I say that's probably not the best use of your time, okay? <clears throat> How about the dictatorial use of authority? Now, do dads need to make mandates? Go make your bed. Clean up your room. Yeah, because when mom said it, they didn't listen. Why? Because you know the tone of voice that is given whereby you now have to act when mom says it. And if dad's doing his job, you don't need the tone of voice. Dad said it. Good enough. I remember Daniel talking to Lynn one day, and he was an adult in essence. And he said, you know, we knew that Dad loved us. 
But we also knew that if we messed up, Dad was going to kill us. That's not the dictatorial use of authority. That is the consequences of your sin. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, you, you can be a dictator or you can lead. Leading is going to include mandates and follow through if you do not follow. Okay? That's different than being a dictator. But dictatorial use of authority. Uh, Number, uh, the last one there. When correction is necessary, shepherding the heart. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Um, Keep your heart with all diligence. When, When do kids need to learn that lesson? I have seen parents make uh, allowances for kids to act as wicked little beings at the dinner table because, oh, they're tired. They don't understand. Excuse me? Maybe you need to help them understand. Okay? That kind of activity, and parents are guilty of it just as kids are, that kind of activity is not acceptable. I don't know how many times Lynn and I have had to Ask for forgiveness because our response was fleshly. And what was done during that fleshly response was hurtful to the other person. And I don't know how many times we've both said it. I don't feel like forgiving you right now, but I do. The feelings will come later. I'm not going to hold it against you. Huh? Yeah. Because what they did was a sin against God. I just suffered the difficulties because of it. And if God can forgive you, I have to. Because if I don't forgive, God doesn't forgive me. What? Yeah. Colossians 3.13. Look that up when you get a chance. Okay. Well, correct. Shepherding the child's heart. There, there's a time when a spanking is necessary. There's a time when correction is going to involve talking to the child and helping them understand Here's why we don't do it that way, or here's why we do it that way. Dealing with the heart. Number two, if we're going to be serving the Lord, we should find opportunities in the church. Why? Well, how many times does the Bible talk about loving one another in one fashion or another? Ephesians 4, 2 and 3, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verses 15 and 16, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from the, whom the whole body joined and knit together by whatever joint, uh, every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, is the day approaching? Boy, I tell you what, I, I don't want to get too dogmatic about, man, it's getting close. Why? Because I'm sure there have been plenty of times in church history when it was worse than it is today. But it sure looks like the day's approaching. So how, how ought we to be dealing with one another? Encouraging one another in our spiritual walks more and more and more. Why? Because day's coming. And the harder it gets, the harder it's going to get to live that way. 
We need each other. So serving, you ought to find opportunities in the church. How about gifts? Gifts for service. Uh, you can look at the verses for yourself, Ephesians 4, 7, and 8, 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. Uh, most of you are going to think, well, you know, that's the preacher. No, 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 no. Each one of us has received some measure of grace to serve the body, okay? And we ought to be figuring out how we're best suited to serve the body and do so because we've been gifted to do it. Um, number three, the concept of equipping or equipped, learned, learned to serve. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. For he himself gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Who's supposed to be involved in the work of the ministry? The saints. The pastor's job is to be equipping. How does he do that? He's preaching the word, touching on subjects that maybe you need a kick in the, I mean, a, a little encouragement in the area of. Okay? That's the pastor's job. And then number three, it extends to activities outside of the home. So first, we've seen it where it's a personal thing. Second, we see it in our uh, family relationships, both husband and wife, uh, parents and children. And now we're going to see it out. And, and then we see it in the church. We should be serving the Lord in the church somehow. And then uh, it also extends to activities outside of the church. Now, in Ephesians 5, uh, 6, 5 to 10, we deal with the role of the servant, the role of the master. How is the servant to serve? Well, he's supposed to serve uh, like he is serving Christ. Not just, oh, the boss is looking, now it's time to work. No, 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 no. I'm doing my job as unto Christ. In the past, I worked in a spring factory in Connecticut, and uh, one of the difficulties that people had was when someone worked too fast. Now they're going to expect that we're all going to put out 25 in an hour instead of the 12, because you did 25. Well, I don't know who did the 25. All I know is very often the reason why we're only doing 12 is because we get to talk to each other, and we're really here for us, not necessarily for the boss. That's the idea of not working under the Lord. And all too many, I mean, has anybody ever gone by a road crew? There is one guy working and nine guys standing around, right? Two holding shovels leaning on them. You know, and, and there's nine supervisors. That's not the way you're supposed to work as a Christian. Chances are the guy that's in the hole might be. You never know. Uh, but the reality is, is the role of the servant is explained there. The role of the master is explained there. The, the guy that's the head, the boss, the chief... He needs to remember, you're going to give an answer to Christ for how you did it. So if you're the boss, you're looking for people that are going to work hard, but you're also going to deal with people that aren't. And how you do that, you're going to give an answer to God for it. So be careful that you're spirit-filled and doing it in love. Yeah, you may have to let someone go. That might be speaking truth to them in love. And then, of course, the use of time in Ephesians 4, 15 to 17 it says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, 
causes growth of the body and edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles in the futility of their mind. And I think I missed a verse where it talks about redeeming the time, for the days are evil. (coughs) Excuse me. So notice, if we're going to be serving the Lord, we're going to be careful how we use our time. Maybe instead of coming home and sitting in front of the TV, guys, please understand, I grew up in front of the TV. It is very easy for me to sit down and watch TV. Maybe instead of that, we can study or read, do something that's actually going to help our own personal growth, or learn a useful hobby whereby you might serve someone else or earn money to serve someone else. See, you don't have to just be able to do something to earn money. Maybe you earn money so you can help someone else who doesn't have that capacity. See, that's serving the Lord. And when you do, when you understand this concept of his 24-7 job, it all belongs to him. You're responsible to him for all of it, not just, well, I teach Sunday school. Uh, You start grasping the fact that everything you do in your life is your service to God at that time. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you that you have not only provided all that's necessary so that we may live in a way that's pleasing to you, but you have also given us the task at hand. And that task is to walk with you and to, if you will, allow your work in our life in such a way that it makes a difference in the lives of those around us, whether it be our family or our workplace. I do ask, Father, that you would work in each of our hearts in such a way that we would not only recognize these things, but that we would start being putting into practice the things that are true here so that we would always recognize, right now I'm serving the Lord. This is how I'm doing it. So that at the end of our lives, we may, like Paul, say, I have run a good race. I have fought the good fight. And I'm looking forward to the crown that is laid up for me in heaven. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Romans 6 says that uh, we were baptized into his death, his burial, his resurrection, but he was raised to live unto God. Well, guess what? If you were raised with him, you were raised to live unto God. And he died for all that they who live might not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. It's time to examine our lives. Christ might come back in six days. (laughs) That's uh, the Feast of Trumpets next Saturday. Uh, He might come back today, yeah. Um, We're going to give an account. How are we doing? I don't know about you, but I look at my life and say, I can do more. I can do more. So let's be about it. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you again for this time. Uh, For the reminder, give us grace to 
walk in a way that's pleasing to you by the power of your spirit. And Lord, allow us to shine as lights in the midst of a dark and perverse generation for your honor and glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.